Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Spring Garden. And if you're visiting with us, if you've been here a couple times, if you've been here a long time, it's wonderful to gather together both online and in person uh, to worship God. And we come as God's family to worship and to praise, to remember and to celebrate. So please stand if you are able and let's sing together.
for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are a forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is no one like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Let's continue to worship through singing the words we've just heard.
of Psalm 86 say, you hear our cry for mercy. You answer us in our distress. You are forgiving and good. So God, we come to you 
and we confess that we have sinned, that we fall short of what you desire for our lives. God, we have said things and done things this week that were not pleasing to you, that hurt others, that hurt ourselves, and that hurt your creation. And so we come before you and confess these places in our lives. And Psalm 86 finishes with these words, You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Jesus, we thank you that you died for our sins, that you offer us forgiveness for all that we have confessed. And we accept that forgiveness now and that mercy that you bestow upon us. And we rest in the knowledge that we are your children and you love us so much. Amen. And as God's forgiven people, we come and we pass the peace of Christ that we have received through him. Peace be with you. Good morning, everyone. We won't be having a baptism this morning. And so if children and youth, if you want to come up to the front to see the baptism, you're more than welcome to come up. Yeah, so you get the front row view of what's going on. You could even come and touch the water if you want. Yeah. Or we may just baptize you if you fall in, but, you know, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> And boys and girls, this is not just for adults, but it's also for you. So whenever you feel like you want to get baptized, you could talk to, uh, to your parents. You could talk to one of us or Jeremy, right? Do you want to touch? You could touch it if you want. It's just a little warm. All right. So following his resurrection, Jesus commanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in obedience to Christ and in joyful thanks for God's redeeming love, we gather to baptize those whom the Spirit has led to repentance and faith. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and still disciples are called to follow Jesus through the waters of baptism, to be buried and raised in union with him and are called his beloved sons and daughters. By the one Spirit, we are baptized into the one body patterned after the likeness of our Lord and anointed for his service. 
this morning, we will turn off the cameras. Oh, they're already off. Uh, just for safety um, purposes. And now we'll introduce Reza. Everybody. Um, I started to know Jesus Christ and went to church when I was living in Eastern Europe. The learning was interesting for me, so I continued until now. I have been attending this church since January. At first, I learned more about Christian culture, which is hospitable and calm, which encouraged me to continue on this path. The Bible taught me to be good to others, and for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for I'm grateful to Jesus to show me the greatness in people. As I attended more here and see more of teaching, I became more eager to involve in ceremonies. The love and happiness I feel among people of Christ are beautiful and encouraging. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and do you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I do. Do you turn from sin, renounce evil, and commit to follow Jesus? I do. Do you commit to live in the fellowship of the church and serve Christ in the world? I do. So by your confession and your commitment to faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we invite you to stretch out your hand as we pray for Reza. Jesus, we thank you so much that your spirit is working in this world in places that we don't know, in people's lives that we don't know. But yet we get to participate in, in some of that, in the way you've been already working in Reza's life and how you've brought him to this church. So we thank you that we could participate and be part of your, your movement and your working in his life. I pray as he continues to learn what it means to be your disciple in this community and elsewhere, may you fill him with your Holy Spirit and guide him and direct him. And may he know he is loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, you could go back. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's so wonderful to worship with you today. Uh, a special welcome to those of you who may be new, you've never been here, or uh, perhaps you're just visiting, um, whether you're online or in person, we are so grateful to have you here. So thank you for worshiping with us today. Um, we will be having a coffee time after worship, and so please feel free to join us for that. Um, it's such a wonderful opportunity to connect with one another um, and begin our week uh, in community as, as an extension of the worship that we're doing here today. Our Delve uh, articles are due. So Delve is a magazine that we publish once a month. We'll be actually be doing it for 
uh, July and August. And so if you would like to put something in there, you've written something that you would like to share, some thoughts that you may have, perhaps you were on the church retreat and you would like to do a reflection. All of those are due on Monday, so that's tomorrow. So if you could send them to Dale at Dale at Spring Garden Church um, by tomorrow, that would be wonderful. Our junior highs met last week, and this upcoming Friday, we have our youth end-of-year party. So if you have any questions um, and you would, yeah, you would like to get involved with that, you can email jeremy at jeremy at springgardenchurch.ca. With the summer upon us, can we all get a woohoo? Um, we're going to have what we have called Gathering by the Garden or picnics in the park. So um, gathering by the garden, this is going to happen every week. We're going to be outside uh, beside the garden. Um, or if you were uh, from Zimbabwe, we would say in the garden, because the garden is not just the, the planted bit, but the whole bit. So we could perhaps be meeting in the garden. Um, but. We're going to be there. We're going to be serving a variety of refreshments each week. And so we're looking for people who would be willing to serve, uh, just help out with that. So if you're able to do that, you can email sam at samlee at springgardenchurch.ca. Um, as, uh, as for picnics in the park, there is a park just beside the church here. And so we're going to be meeting there. And the two dates are July 9th. So not next weekend, but the following weekend, and then August 13th. And we're inviting you to come bring a picnic mat, bring your picnic, some drinks, drop in for as long as you wish. It's just a time for us to connect after worship. So instead of having refreshment time inside, we'll be having it outside together um, during those times. Uh, we are looking for volunteers to help with delivering our produce to St. Clair's residents. So over the summer, we're going to be harvesting our produce from the garden and um, giving it away or donating it to a women's residence uh, just on Bayview and Steeles. They help women who are in transitional crisis and so it's housing for them. And so it's really appreciated that by them that we are able to donate our fresh produce. And so if you're able to come on a Wednesday night or a Thursday, collect the produce from the church and then deliver it to St. Clair's. You can either email garden at springgardenchurch.ca or you can email me, Emily Kielstra at springgarden.ca and we'll create a little roster and that way we can have delivering. Um, hopefully if we get a number of people, you won't have to do it all that often. Um, our next Willowdale Manor event is happening this Thursday from 4 to 6. So if you're interested in volunteering there, we're having a talent show. So if you want to come showcase a talent or watch the seniors showcase their talents, and believe me, they led Tai Chi a couple weeks ago. It's very impressive. Like, they, I don't know, I was exhausted afterwards. I must have been doing it wrong. And they were just... They were just having at it. So if you want to come and join us for that, it's so much fun. Um, you can email me. Um, the Rasso family, which are a family who are currently in Lebanon, we're sponsoring for them to come to Canada 
we're hoping that they're going to be able to come this summer. And so we're uh, doing some fundraising, hoping to be able to raise enough money in order to support them during their first year in Canada. It's really difficult as a newcomer to Canada, let alone if you're coming as refugees. And so we're asking that if you feel the Lord leading you to give in this way, that you would do so. You can either do it physically by handing in an envelope at the back or sending an e-transfer or going online. Just make sure that you... Um, indicate that it's for the Syrian Refugee Fund so that we know to direct it towards that. Um, today is our appreciation lunch for children and youth. So if you signed up for that, um, I think Jeremy would have sent an email to all the volunteers involved with that. Um, that is happening downstairs in the basement tonight, uh, this afternoon. And I know that Jeremy and his team are really excited to um, celebrate all of the wonderful volunteers who have served with the children and the youth today. So uh, that's all. I'm going to invite the person who's doing the children's blessing to come up now. Good morning. My name is Izzy, and today I will be blessing the children. For today, I chose the part, passage Mark 10, 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Children, please cup your hands to receive the blessing. And adults, please outstretch your arms to bless the children. Join me in prayer. Dear God, thank you for loving us and for giving us life. We are so grateful for the special joy that children bring to, bring to this world. Help us to honor your word and to listen when you call us to follow you. As we read in this passage, your heart overflows with love for children, and we know that we are of great value to you. We ask that you give us the courage to be vulnerable and to trust in your goodness. May our hearts remain open to you and to the precious gifts you offer us. Let us never forget that you are with us wherever we go, and there is no greater love than what you have for us. Thank you for teaching us about your love and for being our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. See you downstairs. Uh, are we on the air? Yes. I've been looking at this apartment building on the, on the stage here, wondering when uh, something's going to happen about that. It's very intriguing. Maybe you've noticed that upstairs lights are on. <laughs> Let's join together in prayer, shall we, before the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Thank you, Lord, that we may come together like this in a very simple way, in your presence and uh, with one another, bringing our praise and thanksgiving. We pray that your presence and your grace uh, will strengthen us as we do so, 
and that we may feel the unity with uh, uh, worship and with one another in doing so. We thank you that we can uh, think of the example of the Church of Acts in praise and worship and their eagerness to serve together. Uh, we want to pray that here your blessing and your strength and your guidance would be on everyone who works uh, behind and in front of the scenes and ask that uh, as members together, as members of one body, we would have that strong shared outlook regarding uh, help and participation in, in the work here. We thank you for the uh, various giftedness, the ways in which we can be uh, very proficient in one thing, in the ways in which others aren't, and we pray that there would be a good blending of all these strengths, that uh, our work uh, would go well and would flourish. Um, like Emily was saying about the garden uh, next door. We pray also, Lord, realizing that physically as well as uh, emotionally there are those trying to cope and manage uh, with, with pain uh, at home and at work, and uh, this too may be a silent thing. I mean something where they're not sharing but trying to uh, work through. We pray your strong uh, presence in their lives and for ourselves too, especially when the times come through the dark of the night sometimes when we imagine you're not listening or when it may feel like you're indifferent uh, to what we're going through. Pray your forgiveness. We pray your presence in, in great strength, your influence in so many ways to help us to um, carry on. Pray for loved ones too, those who care for family members. Uh, and although their pain is different, nonetheless, just as real, we pray you would strengthen them and help them to lean on you as uh, they need to uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. We thank you that in this regard, too, that we have our life groups where we can be supportive and in prayer and in many different ways uh, try to be a help to one another. We want to pray, too, particularly for friends waiting for medical tests. We ask you would uphold Gary and uh, the family, Michelle and uh, the children. We ask for your abiding peace in their lives uh, when waiting can be so difficult. We pray for those uh, whom we don't know personally but who've died in the Titan submersible and realize the shockwaves of this throughout the world, uh, a lot of publicity. We pray that you would be with loved ones and that they would know your comfort and grace uh, at this time. We pray for safety throughout the world in kinds of endeavors like this and in uh, other ways. May we say uh, that we're grateful also for those making Canada their new home. Uh, with the baptism this morning, we're grateful for those who have left all that they've known and grown up with and as uh, eventually uh, arrived in Canada are now part of our life here at Spring. We pray that you would bless them and help them to see their way and um, certainly be able to be a part of our life in uh, helpful and enriching ways. And we're grateful for them, even for some new recipes, perhaps, that we've never tried before. Thank you for this enriching uh, influence. Um, as was mentioned, we pray for the Rasso family and that funds and plans will all fall into place 
and soon that they'll be able to come and the, uh, the work of settling in can start. Lord, may we pray against the spirit, uh, spirit of bullying, hate and violence that we're seeing building here in Toronto and across the world. We want to ask that you would especially help us in uh, this kind of uh, battle and uh, forgive us for the times when we feel tempted to respond in, in, in like manner, uh, however that may be. We pray that we would have the grace and what we need to be able to um, uh, cope with this and to lean on you uh, properly. Those of the short answers and the cliched language and also through social media propagate these uh, messages. Pray for the young people especially too who can be more vulnerable in, in this regard. Yes, Lord, we pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray for leadership everywhere, that there would be um, a mindset for rebuilding and restoration in Ukraine. We think of the destruction of Sennacherib and the ways in which you helped when your people were under attack at, at that time. We pray for good leadership here Oh Lord, thinking of the election of a new mayor tomorrow, we pray that everyone would take this seriously and vote. We ask for good uh, leadership and governance, just as you've urged us to pray, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and uh, safety. Pray for the different ministries here with youth and with the seniors at the seniors' home. Pray for NeighborLink. We pray uh, for the ministry team. We ask that in all these details and all the uh, many and varied parts of work that go on that you would give strength and we pray that you would help there to be enough rest as well so that um, uh, work and support is, is spread out uh, properly. Speak up for people who cannot speak for themselves. Protect the rights of all who are helpless. Speak for them and be a righteous judge. Protect the rights of the poor and needy. And may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue in an attitude of prayer. Please stand if you are able and let's sing together.
scripture reading today is taken from Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 7 and then verses 16 to 17 as well. In your pew Bibles you can find that at page um, 911. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to this earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also, 
are among those Gentiles who are come to belong to Jesus, Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now from verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteousness will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Just in case you weren't awake. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Greg, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, have you heard of the billionaire space race? Many in this room will have heard of the original space race back in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the two biggest world superpowers, USSR and USA. So the Russians and the Americans were fighting to see who was the best country in the world. And they were doing this, well, in lots of ways, one of which was by racing over who would be the first to conquer space. Now, flash forward 50 years and the space race is back on. But this time, instead of world superpowers, the most powerful nations fighting to win, it is now a billionaire space race. Instead of nations, the battle is between capitalists. People. Uh, these are people that Jim Gaffigan, a uh, comedian, he calls billionaire pretend astronauts. In his Netflix special comedy monster, uh, I'm going to show you just a clip of that. Who's your, your favorite, favorite billionaire pretend astronaut? <laughs> Can you believe there's a choice? <laughs> and it's not between just two. We live in a day when billionaires are building their own rockets to fly to outer space and no one's saying, are you sure they're paying all their taxes? Because I know some teachers that need supplies. Don't you love his voice? I should talk like that. We need some teachers. Anyway. Humans trying to wield power through exploitation and dominance over nature, over humans to exalt their own names, to defend their reputation, jousting to the, be the prime archetype of the ultimate human being, the ultimate business, the ultimate nation. And this is what is called empire. And it is into empire that a first century follower of Jesus named Paul writes his letter to the Romans. Their race, of course, wasn't to space, but was in taking over other nations. This summer, we are going to be going through Paul's letter to the Romans to discover not only what Paul was trying to say to followers of Jesus who were living in Rome, which was the center of the Roman Empire, but also to see how this message will still speak to us today. And we are beginning, as Abe read for us, at the beginning. Uh, let's just uh, pause and pray as we enter into this. Uh, Jesus, uh, we want uh, to know you. We want to understand the scriptures 
that have been handed down to us um, throughout centuries of your people's uh, faith and seeking to live for you. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, that it would come to life again uh, in our community and in our city. Amen. So as we begin, I want to give you some basic context to this letter in general. First of all, it's written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a leader in the early church, and he is the author of quite a number of the letters that we find uh, in our Bibles in, in the part that we call the New Testament, which is uh, about Jesus. Like Jesus and the first followers of Jesus, Paul was Jewish. In fact, before he came to believe in Jesus through a miraculous encounter uh, that he had with the resurrected Jesus, Paul was a type of leader uh, that is called a Pharisee. He's an expert. He was an expert on Jewish law, which is called Torah. And what we, he was what we would today call somewhat legalistic about adhering to the laws. Because of this, he was actually persecuting the early church. As in his eyes, the church was a corruption of the Jewish faith. It was leading people away from the Torah and their heretical views about this guy named Jesus being the Messiah. The Messiah is a word which is the long-awaited anointed king who is going to come to free the Jews from the oppression of the Roman Empire. In the Old Testament, we see the word Messiah. In a lot of New Testament, we see the word Christ. And it's, there are nuanced differences, but essentially, um, it's the same concept. The Roman Empire, of course, was the latest in a long string of empires that has swept through the land of Judah, oppressing the Jewish people who lived there, all in the name of Roman justice, peace, and security. Justice, peace, and security. Not dissimilar to what Russia is trying to do to Ukraine. Using military force to conquer other lands and people groups. Forcing those people to live under their oppressive regime. Squashing all resistance. Laying down heavy burdens of taxing and policing. All while using propaganda and images proclaiming peace and justice. To try to keep the people docile and even thankful for the protection that they receive from Rome. I saw this comic and I thought uh, it was great. I don't know if it might not be readable to you. I'm going to... So there's this wolf who's giving a political speech to sheep. And he says, everybody knows that I don't eat sheep. And well, then in the next one, he's eating a sheep. And while he's eating, he says, in fact, I eat way less sheep than anybody. And then on a full belly... He says, I have a fabulous relationship with the sheep. And the sheep, ignoring his actions but believing his words, says, he'll protect us from the sheep eaters. I mean, it sounds a little bit like a, a lot of politics that we see today, right? And I love that this girl at the end, you go, oh, come on, mom, nobody is that dumb. And the mom has this look on her face like, uh, and unfortunately, lots of people are. And apparently, this girl hasn't been on Twitter, on truth social media Rome uses propaganda the same way oppressive leaders use propaganda today. Like in Iran and Afghanistan, using religious fundamentalism to oppress women and to persecute pe uh, people who aren't Muslim. In China and Russia, controlling the media 
to, to make people thankful for their leadership even while they are oppressing them. Emily was telling us about how in Zimbabwe, that's the country she's from, it's under severe recession. The vast percentage of the population can't afford basic necessities. And whenever election comes along, out on the streets show up government trucks delivering food handouts. Between this and the state-run media, the government propaganda actually convinces the people that the government is just and caring. Well, they are actually just wolves convincing the sheep that they have a great relationship with them while feasting off of their docility. Much of what Rome's propaganda machine put out was centered around the emperor. The first emperor of Rome was Caesar Augustus, who once he died, he was then considered a god. And so Romans worship him as a god. And we actually take a month every year to worship Caesar Augustus. It's called August. That's what that month is, was a celebration, a feast of the divine emperor, Caesar Augustus. Augustus. There are inscriptions dating all the way back as far as 6th century BC. So remember, that's 500 years before Jesus comes along. And there are inscriptions that have Rome's propaganda about Augustus. They use phrases like the most divine Caesar the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality, who was sent to us and our descendants as a savior to put an end to war and to set all things in order. And do you know Rome called these, what Rome called these messages about the divine savior and the son of God bringing salvation to all, ending wars and restoring peace and justice? Do you know what they were called? Gospel. They're called gospel. It's good news. The gospel of Caesar was to be proclaimed throughout the empire so that all would know and all would worship their Savior and their Lord. Now remember, this is before Jesus came on the scene, right? It sounds to us like, oh, that's what, how we talk about Jesus. But it actually started with the emperor. The gospel of Rome was spread throughout the empire whenever a military victory was won and another people group were conquered. And of course, like all empires, the gospel of peace ignored the reality that peace was brought by violence and destruction, terror, and oppression of whole nations and people groups. Sounds a little bit like our colonial history here in Canada, doesn't it? And the empire itself was built and sustained on the labor of slaves, the lowest level of people in a hierarchical social ladder, where everyone is indebted to the person above them. So slaves were ob obligated, obliged, indebted to owe gratitude and recognition to those above them. And then those people were obliged and obligated and indebted to owe thanks to the people above them. And on and on and on, all the way till you get to the emperor. By keeping everyone, so every single person in the entire culture was indebted to the social class above them. And so it actually keeps all people docile and even thankful for their situation because they look at the people above them who are actually oppressing them as, their, as people who are giving them the good life that they have. Now there's often been a misconception that Paul's letter to the Romans is Paul's attempt to write a systematic theology. That he's trying to go from A to Z covering everything important about Jesus. However, considering systematic theology didn't even exist until 500 years ago, 
That's one reason we know it wasn't Paul's systematic theology. But instead, like all of Paul's letters, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome to address their specific situation. It wasn't meant to be his, like, just, if you're going to read my stuff, this is the best book to get, and it'll tell you everything I think. He's writing to a specific situation, a specific people living in the heart of the empire. And we only need to read the first few verses of this letter to see that. Starts, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And we can stop there. Right off the bat, Paul is calling himself a slave. So he's actually placing himself on the bottom of this social hierarchy. He's speaking specifically to this hierarchy, and he's saying, I am on the bottom. And he is not a slave to aristocrats or even to the emperor, but he is a slave to Christ Jesus, this Jewish Messiah. It's very anti-imperialist and political, and he's only a couple words in, and it gets even more so. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand. So here's that word, gospel. It means good news. Paul is using the language of the empire to speak about Jesus. Effectively, he's shaping the empirical word to say the gospel of Rome, the gospel of the emperor, their gospel of peace isn't the real gospel and it isn't real peace. This is the real gospel. This is the gospel of God. And this is so important to Paul that he uses the word of this empirical word, gospel, five times in this short section at the beginning of this letter. And he goes on in verse 2. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who, at his, to his, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. Earthly life, a descendant of David. So again, we don't see this when we're reading it from our perspective. But here, speaking to the empire, he's saying the good news is not about a descendant of Augustus Caesar. But, he, but a descendant of a line of kings of this troublesome, rebellious bunch of Jews that are always causing havoc to the empire. This is what the gospel is about. It's not about the descendant of Caesar Augustus. It's about the descendant of King David, a Jew. And through the spirit of holiness was appointed, sorry, and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So again, he's going on with this same language of empire. Appointed son of God. The emperor was a son of a God. But Jesus is the son of the God. And he was appointed son of, of God by the spirit of holiness. Not by military might. Not by the nature of being born in a royal or empirical line. None of the things that have put their emperors in place is how Jesus was appointed the son of God but it was through a spirit of holiness. And he was appointed son of God by his resurrection from the dead. The emperor, the son of a God, is savior by winning battles, by building infrastructure, by holding power and mongering, 
And one day the emperor will be conquered just like he conquered everyone else. But the power of Jesus is not conquerable. For he conquered the one thing that all emperors and slaves alike must bow down to. Death. And this is why we should call this Jewish Messiah murdered by the empire on a cross. This is why we are to commit treason against the empire by instead of calling Caesar Lord, we call Jesus Christ Lord. This entire introduction to the letter is using the language of empire. It's like Paul picked up Rome's travel brochure, reading it aloud and using it to point not to the empire but to Jesus undermining and subverting the very ethos of all of society to show how Jesus is so much greater than anything the empires of the world can provide. Spoken into first century Rome, but speaking the same to us. And I would say this is part of what we witness today in baptism. It is aligning ourselves, not just with a God who loves us, but who calls us into a very different way of being than the empires of the world by going into death and rising into new life the way that Jesus was made in the Son of God through his resurrection from the dead. Paul continues reading from this Roman travel brochure in verses 5 and 6. Oh, I lost my page. Through him, Jesus... We receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So when Paul says obedience, again, he's using this language Roman citizens would know. It's part of that language of being indebted to the people above you. Paul and his companions have received the gift of God, grace and apostleship. And an interesting to note, is that he isn't saying, he's actually saying plural apostleship, uh, which is for another time. He's referring to himself and his companions and others. To call the Gentiles to be indebted, to be obedient to this Lord, an obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. Later in verse 14, 14, Paul says that he is obligated to Greeks and to non-Greeks, to wise and to foolish Once again, using the language of the lower class being uh, obligated to the ones above them. But those in the Roman Empire would have seen the Greeks as being the top notch, right? Not the non-Greeks. They would have seen the wise as being the top notch, not the foolish. So the wise would be above the foolish. And here Paul is saying that in Jesus, we are obligated to, he is obligated not only to placing himself on the bottom, But he's also declaring that the Greeks and the non-Greeks, the wise and the foolish, are actually on equal levels with one another. That all of the hierarchy of the empire is foolishness. Without knowing that he's talking to the empire, we wouldn't pick all this stuff up. And it is this, as we read in verse 5, this is the for his namesake. The sake of God's name. That's like saying God's reputation. God's reputation depends on including everyone. Jews and Gentiles, wise and foolish, rich rich and poor. And this is a big part of the gospel, what the gospel is to Paul in the letter of the Romans. God's very reputation is at stake in the nature 
of all people, to all in Rome, being one. The gospel of Jesus was spread not when people were conquered, but when two diverging groups found home with one another without the social hierarchy. Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, wise and foolish, Greek and non-Greek. Laying aside their battles and arguments and disunity, for these things bring shame to God's name. And instead becoming family of welcome, unity across human barriers of gender, nationality, worldview, and capacity. All for Jesus' name's sake. God stakes his very reputation on it. And this makes sense now of verses 16 to 17 in a way that a lot of us weren't raised to see. Verses that often been used to talk about salvation simply as going to heaven. The idea of following a, a Roman's road through sin to heavenly glory, of pulling our favorite verses out, and, and out of context and using them to paint this, paint this road that's just about salvation to heaven. But it's actually about creating home. This is the gospel in Romans. It's creating home. It's creating family of God in the heart of an empire. It's written to all in Rome, regardless of privilege, status, hierarchy, nation, language, gender. These are things that Paul will get into more and more. Here's verses 16 and 17 in that context. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Remember, in the empire, the Gentiles would be first, and the Jews are just these troublesome, annoying people, right? So he's actually flipping it again, even just the way he puts that order. Um, but it's also the story of the Jews as well. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness, we talked about this a few weeks ago, this word of righteousness can equally be translated as justice. In the good news, the justice of God, the doing, right, the doing the right thingness of God is revealed. And the doing the right thingness of God is by faith. This translation says from first to last, but the original language in Greek actually says from faith to faith. It could be first to last, but it also could be faith to faith, like from town to town, from shore to shore. A picture of this continual, always expanding and moving forward faith. God's righteousness leads to our righteousness, to an obedience that comes from an always expanding faith. And so when Paul says the righteous will live by faith, he's quoting from a prophet named Habakkuk. In a section that actually, the section of Habakkuk sounds more like he's speaking to our Western empires not of country, but of capitalism, and not of civilians, but of consumers and customers. Where the leaders we worship by giving our attention and our admiration, our imitation and our emulation, are the uber-rich and the uber-famous. Now, the prophet doesn't say it's wrong to be rich. He's not judging being rich. He's judging how the rich, how, how, he's judging about how to become rich ways of becoming rich and ways of sustaining that. that. That's what he's judging. He's not judging just the concept of having wealth. The prophet contrasts the righteous living in faith 
with those who are puffed up, narcissistic, arrogant, whose desires are not upright, who never rest in their pursuits, who are as greedy as the grave. They are never satisfied, even as they take captive peoples, consuming them and the earth's resources for their own gain with no regard for the land or the indigenous people on it. This is the opposite of faith, of how the righteous live by faith. The opposite of the righteous living in faith are those who make themselves wealthy by extortion. Those who destroy land and cities, who make mansions with money, made unjustly off of low-paying working class. This is what Habakkuk is saying. You could say he's also saying that those who make spaceships off the backs of underpaid warehouse workers. Those who collude to fix the price of bread so that it becomes unaffordable. I imagine if Paul was writing Romans now to people who live in Toronto, he'd use Loblaws' slogan saying that Jesus is helping Canadians live life well. Not through price gouging and fixed prices, raising the cost of bread with colluding with, their, uh, with others, but through justice and righteousness, a faith that leads to obedience, of feeding the hungry, not making it harder for them to get food. Now, I have to be honest with you, small side tangent. This was a hard week. This was a very hard week for me, and for many. My heart was filled with heaviness over so many things. Um, It's not my place to share um, a lot of them. But one of them, which built on top of everything, was that a friend who's part of our CBOQ family, uh, our association of churches, his son died by suicide last week. It's, it's one of those things that's unmanageable and unbearable. But mental health and isolation are impacting so many, especially our young people, in, and it's in epidemic proportions. And in the midst of my personal struggling with my own depression and grieving, my heartbreaking for friends and family in our society, I'm trying to write a sermon on Romans 1, 1 through 17. Who cares? Right? Who cares? I mean, in the face of what so many people are going through, especially our young people who's going through suicide ideation, who cares about these first few verses of Romans, of a letter written 1,900 years ago? Well, I can't necessarily answer that question for you. But as I wrestled with it, this is where I've landed and why I think we should care about this letter written to the Romans. The 21st century empire wants you to value people based on their productivity, based on their ingenuity, their ability to make lots of money, to be popular, to be famous, to be exalted, to consume, to be part of something that conquers and consumes. But Paul was not a slave to empire. Paul was not a slave to consumerism, to judgment based on income levels and social status. Anything that tells you your value is based on what marks you get in school or popularity or how many friends you have. Any system that causes people to have food insecurity, to lack in living wages, 
that causes epidemics of loneliness and suicide ideation, that separates people from access of care, that fattens the wallets of CEOs and bureaucrats and celebrities, where the most vulnerable live on their constant cuts to health care, to education, mental health support in our public school systems, in our society, and housing. Anything that does any of that is empire, and it is of the devil. And it sounds political because it is. And I'm not saying this because there's a vote tomorrow. I'm not, telling you, I'm not telling you how to vote. But it is political. Romans is political. Israel's sense of righteousness is political. Paul's message to the Romans, Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God of what salvation means is political in the sense that it subverts human empires. The things of the human empire that are making us feel like we're happy and we're living the good life here in the West. While the poor are being oppressed, where our children are wanting to end their lives because there's no hope. And we celebrate billionaires going to space. This opens our eyes to see that the gospel of the West, what our culture is trying to convince us that will offer hope and peace and meaning and shallow pools of rancid filth in comparison to the gospel of Jesus. The good news of the Son of God who offers salvation from the meaninglessness and the loneliness of consumerism. Who puts his reputation on the line to create a family where all people are supposed to find full acceptance and welcome, hearing that they are beloved and of great worth. And yet the church in the West is fighting over who's in and who's out. The good news of one who does not use violence, coercion, or money, or popularity to get their way, but the very grave, but went to the very grave to offer us deeper life, to create this home where we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, living as a community of people indebted to the love and salvation of Jesus, who together reject the lies and the false promises of the empire, subverting the powers and the voices that seek to divide us, or make themselves Lord over us. This is the obedience that comes from faith for God's namesake. This is the gospel of which we need not to be ashamed, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation that in the here and now looks like home, welcome, love, freedom from oppression and coercion, is food for the poor. And is filled with just righteousness, righteous justice, moving from faith to faith, all to the praise of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The one who, in the words of Canadian scholars, Brian Walsh and Sylvia Keysmat says, Jesus isn't the Son of God because he was elected, or because he has the most economic power, or because he commands great armies. No, he is the Son of God because he defeated the power of death. This is where we will find peace and hope and encouragement. A reason to go on for our young people and for us. So let us resist the empire together. And live in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks. We live in a country um, 
that is, is in many ways trying to do its best to care for all people. Yet no human kingdom, no human country can possibly uh, live out the values of your kingdom. God, we want to turn our hearts away from those things that seduce us. The voices of the empire that tells us our worth is in all kinds of garbage. But that looks beautiful and shiny and perhaps makes us feel good for a few moments, but then fades away, leaving us even lonelier and emptier than before. But Jesus, you do not leave us. You never abandon us. And you've created a home for us in the church that we're not perfect. We at Spring Garden, the church worldwide, is not perfect, makes all kinds of mistakes. So we need your grace and apostleship to be who you've called us to be, united amongst diversity, just, loving, and kind, proclaiming this gospel that we, that we do not need to be ashamed of because it is so beautiful and wonderful and filled with hope and life and resurrection power. So we offer you ourselves to your kingdom. Amen. As we respond to what God has spoken to us today through Greg, let's just take a moment of silence so that all the words and all the things that have said, maybe something that was said has triggered something in you or has reminded you of something or, um, yeah, let's just come before God in, in silence and uh, reflect on what has been said. So, Lord, we come. We come as your people. We are thankful that, Jesus, you died for us. That you came to save us, not with power and might and, and with a big army, but you came with hope and love. And, God, we, we do pray for each of us who struggle every day with living in the world, with empire and politics and all of the things that come at us. God, we need your hope and your love. 
And we thank you that we can stand before you unashamed as your children. Amen. As you are able, please stand and let's praise our one true God.
to God. And here at Spring Garden, we give financially as we're able. And there are ways to do that online. There's a QR code in the pew and a box at the back to give physically. And if you're visiting with us, please feel no obligation to give. But if giving financially is part of your worship, please feel free to join us in that. And we do come and we offer our lives to God. And as we walk with him, May he bless us. So let's continue to sing one more song of praise. Before we sing, may we just quickly pray for Tim and his family? Uh, Please pray with me. Uh, Lord, um, we want to lift up uh, Tim McCoy and his family to you at this time. There are no words that can express the pain uh, that they are going through, Lord. And so we, we are dependent on the groanings of your spirit rising in us and hovering over them. Be with them in a way that only you can. Give them strength. Give them whatever they need uh, because only you truly uh, know what a person, uh, a family in that situation could, could, does need, Lord. So be with them. And we want to pray for others that we know and for um, the country and just our, our world where loneliness is an epidemic. We pray that you would bring hope into lives that your spirit would speak, would break through uh, the voices that so many are hearing that would lead them to a place of wanting uh, to end their lives. We pray that you'd help us as a culture to do what needs to be done to, to raise ability, raise care and support for people in these going, situations and going through these times. Amen.
Um, if you would like to pray with someone, please feel free to come forward and someone, I will pray with you. So as you go from here today in the world this week, help us, help all of us, never to be ashamed of the good news of Jesus, but to share it with those we meet. Help us to walk in faith, to trust in your love, and to be sustained by the power of God the love of Jesus, and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in all that we say and do this week. Amen. Go in his name.